Welcome to the Pepin Podcast, a research into practice conversation between pre-service and in-service teachers and teacher educators about research. In episode 9, I'm joined by six pre-service teachers and one university teacher educator to discuss Vicky Goodyear, Charlotte Kerner and Mikhail Kavenestat's 2019 paper, Young People's Uses of Wearable Health Lifestyle Technologies, Surveillance, Self-Surveillance and Resistance from Sport Education and Society. Over to you, Barry. Thanks very much. So um, I found this a particularly interesting subject because um, a few years ago, we started to introduce one of the football teams, a GPS tracker. So a, a GPS tracker would give them like the distance um, and then we'd relate that to heart rate and you'd be able to tell how much uh, guys would be able to do on the pitch. It was a guys team. Uh, and some of them loved it. They thought it was fantastic information. They were learning how hard they were working. We were able to relate that to a lot of like, um, you know, a heartbeat uh, you know, information that was coming out. So lots of data that we were able to use. Some of them hated it. Some of them absolutely hated it. They didn't like being tracked at all. They didn't like seeing it. Some of it was because of like a competitive standard uh, again, being rated to somebody else. Uh, and they felt it was kind of lessening their importance with this. This was coming up and we were spending too much time focusing on this rather than other aspects of the performance. I mean, you relate that back to somebody wearing a Fitbit, um, reading the article itself, a lot of the feedback from the students themselves seem to relate to that. You would get a lot of people coming back and saying, this is no educational value. Why are we doing it? And it's, it's in comparison to the sporting story that I just told, it seems really similar to that. I know the link is anecdotal, but it's still, um, it seems that the students, some of them took it on, got competitive and got a lot over it. And some of them found it really cumbersome and inhibitive after a time. Um, and, and more of a challenge than, than it was worthwhile doing. Um, so that was just my experience with it. Um, I just wanted to relate that to the sporting story that I had. I, I'm i quite torn with this one, whether whether or not I, I like the ideas of Fitbits and PE or not. First of all, like start reading in the blog, in the first paragraph, see the word validation. For me, validation should not come from a watch or an app validation should come from yourself and sort of within and hope and we've spoke about this before how, how how physical activity feels rather than numbers laps things like that and it's it's just another way of fitness testing really um in my opinion a, another fitness test which we don't need and then moving on to ten thousand steps part of it I'm sure I've, uh, please someone correct me if I'm wrong, this number's just been plucked out of uh, nowhere years ago and it's been stuck with. And I'm, I think a few years ago I've seen a study that showed only 7,000 steps, uh, 7,000 steps your health benefits begin to plateau anyway. But in terms of the education side of it, we should be, we should be educating them if, if we're insisting on 10,000 steps. Why? What benefits come along with that? so that there isn't as much pushback as to, oh, why have I got to do it? But then also that there's no progression from that 10,000 steps. You've got to then be talking about the intensity and what we're doing during the day, breaking up our sedentary time. And all this can come into the educative part of it. Um, and then on the flip side, the parts what I quite like, and what I feel, because I wear a Garmin myself and I use it quite a bit, uh, at the moments of pride you get from it, like recently I've just set myself a target of, of running a half marathon before a, a certain certain day. I did it a week early and my my watch and the technology allowed me to do that. 
And I think rather than just pushing on the 10,000 steps and getting the steps up, those sort of goals and how you can do that through using the watch should be brought into to the practice if we're going to insist on using these things. And then also, I, I usually don't like too much competition, but in, in this sense, I quite liked the, oh, can I do more than you? Can I do them quicker than you? Because then it adds the intensity to develop the 10,000 steps a little further. And then finally, I think sort of linking back to a few weeks ago, we could use the tool of the Fitbit to get to begin to gamify our activities and, and set different sort of levels and powers and things like that that come with a gamification. I thought that, that there could be quite a good tool, tool for that. Yeah, um, Cameron, I couldn't agree more with you on the the statement you said validation should not come from an app or virtual achievement. Um, I wear an Apple Watch myself and you know, after you like filled your rings, you get that little virtual achievement. And I don't think that we should be setting up our, our youngsters as that fulfilling their goal, you know? And another thing I was thinking about is how 10,000 steps set the bar. And like you said, what, where's the data be behind that? And once a, a young student hits that 10,000 steps, they don't really have any encouragement to go beyond that. So, I think a lot of students might be just settling for that when, you know, it's not, it's a good thing to go and do more than 10,000 steps. Um, I really, I enjoyed this, this article and I, I kind of think that it could go down two different roads. My first thought when I was reading it was, you know, this is, I don't think that we should incorporate this. How are we going to uh, regulate what, what it's teaching our students and, I just don't really find it beneficial to actual physical education. You're not actually learning much from, from wearing an Apple Watch or a Fitbit. But then the other way it could go is, you know, integrating technology into phys ed is inevitable. You know, this could be a great thing. We just need to really figure out how to regulate it, maybe teach a class on how to use technology and all sorts of other things. Um, and then Barry, you were also speaking about the um, tracking of heart rates in football and everything. And this isn't really related to physical education, but it's technology and sport. Um, the NHL, which is hockey, uh, ice hockey here, was putting technology into the pucks and into the players' jerseys to track uh, the speed that they're skating at, the speed that they're shooting the puck at, and all sorts of things. And the players hated it. They hated the pucks. They thought they were bouncing differently on the ice and they couldn't shoot them the same. So they actually just took it out. So there's an example of kind of something going wrong with uh, incorporating technology into physical activity. But like I said, the education side is a little different and it needs some more work. I'll jump off of Rob. Um, so I definitely agree with with really everything that we've talked about so far. Um, I feel like wearing a watch, wearing a tracker of some sort is more of a personal preference. Obviously we've talked about, you know, some kids like it, some kids don't, even adults the same way. I know that ever since I was little, I am a person that I wanna wear a watch. I know, I want to know what time it is. I wanna know all these things. So as soon as a Fitbit came out, I got one. As soon as an Apple watch came out, I got one. I use mine all the time but it's a personal preference because that's something that I like, but I know that 
like my little sister for example does not like it does not like being tracked for what she's doing it just it's not the same to her she'd rather work out and do exercise and all these things without having that being monitored all the time um i think rob was talking about it how to monitor the kids if we were to implement it in phys ed how could you really monitor the kids and how that they use it are you going to have them do a log it's not like you can access their account with it um but in that case if they were going to do like a paper log they could fib on that they could say oh yeah i did 60 minutes of exercise but really they only did 30. so that would be like something that you could you would have to work on for that um but personal story i really like the watch and i have used it um, when I was doing an observation with my cooperating teacher, every day we would set our watches, make sure we put them on, and we tracked how many steps we did. And in between classes, all right, let's do a little workout. Five minutes we've got. Let's go take a lap around the school, get a few more steps in. So I like it for that purpose. It was more of like a, a little friendly competition, but that's something that I prefer. So I feel like it's a lot of personal preference on you know, if you want to be tracked and monitored like that. I actually kind of, I, I like it. I think it's a good idea. I mean, we talked about all the negatives and the things that go wrong with it in Risto's paper the other month or the other week, whenever that was, and how kids might lose it or forget to put it in the shower or whatever. But I think if, if it's the 10,000 steps is a goal for a, for a child that doesn't do anything, who sits on the computer all day, if that gets them out of the house and it gets them moving, then I'd say that's a step in the right direction. I don't think the 10,000 steps is aimed at the cross-country runner who's going to go out and go running regardless of whether he's wearing a Fitbit or anything like that. I think, especially at the moment when all lessons are online and it's super easy for ourselves students and everyone to just be sat in front of a screen all day every day i think having that goal is really important like i, I use my strava all the time so i think it's great yeah I, I think i'd agree with you charlie how there are very many benefits and also drawbacks to using such technology and, and uh, one thing uh, ash has actually spoken to me in relation to teaching physics class, a teacher really focus on the learning rather than the activity. Uh, where, you know, they achieve the, the 10,000 steps, but instead of asking them about that external motivation or how, what did it feel like to gain the 10,000 steps, that can just be, you know, set aside as positive for the students that do engage it. But then you can also draw on how do you feel on the days when you do more exercise versus days that you don't? Or how do you feel the way you achieve those exercise, that exercise? For example, maybe you won't feel as proud if you're just walking up and down in a circle in your bedroom versus having gone on a walk with family and friends or played a sport. Or, so it can, it can definitely lend towards exploring different understandings, a whole new level of exercise. And um, I also think to some extent, 
the the conclusion that uh, having a Fitbit doesn't provide much educational support, I think that's in itself a lot of education. And I think to some extent, exposing kids to Fitbit and then them then saying, well, sir, this doesn't actually do much to my education or PE. You could, you should be able to say, yes, perfect. We now understand technology and it tracking you means nothing towards your validation, towards the amount of exercise you do and towards your relationship to exercise. That that's just a side, a side thing. What matters is the exercise. So if we get to introduce that to them in, you know, middle school at, at a young age, they'll then realize when they're 25 years old and have options to buy a watch that, well, it's not about the tracking, it's about the actual exercise around it. And that might be a learning for them. So I just wanted to come back with a few points here. Rab, I, I, you're absolutely right in what you said about um, it's its place in education, which is the main problem. Like in sport and data collection, we can see what the benefits are. Um, but do you know when you suddenly get further into a conversation, you think, you know, God, we could be treading in a minefield here. And you really are. Because um, do you, I don't know if our you know, American friends know what VAR is. Do you know what VAR is? So they've introduced this thing to the Premier League football, right? Where they will review a decision on field that's a game-changing possible decision um, by camera. Okay, so offside is the particular big one. And some of the decisions have been like, a guy has got a toe offside, you know, who maybe is not involved in the actual movement. And it's caused huge controversy and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of people are basically saying, if it was just down to the human eye, we never would see this, you know, and the game was more exciting, had a better flow to it before this thing happened. So, I mean, the comparison of VAR to this, if we introduce this kind of technology, which, yes, it's very good for data collection, and there's probably a link, an educational link there if they go into sports or health-based sort of uh, monitoring, right? But then are we just putting stuff in for the sake of having it in? You know, is, is it actually helping or is it hindering in the way that it's changing the focal point of healthy physical activity and education through that medium to this is the data that you do every time you do it? You know, I mean, is that is that where we're going with this sort of thing? Because personally, if we never had it, we never missed it before we had it. Thanks, folks. I'll uh, I'll jump in and some valuable points that I'll let uh, Ashley kind of recap and then um, pose some more questions. I, I think validation and educational value and meaning are are, are some of those key points. I want to really focus on what Ash tries to capture at the beginning of his uh, blog um, about the, you know, the, the gaze and the surveillance theme that was discussed by the authors. And, you know, are we, are, there's no question that uh, digital technology is here to stay and it can be a, a useful complement to, to learning, but it has to be we have to discern what that learning and how that learning can be and what it might may look like. But the thing that I worry about is back to that that notion of the gaze and the surveillance. Ash pointed to being addicted almost to that Apple Watch and not for the value, but be but for the habit and the hobby of it almost. And I worry about the same thing that we may instill in our K through 12 children, the same thing, the habit, the habit and hobby of it 
as opposed to the meaning and value as a part of the learning experience, almost to the degree or to the same comparison as social media. We have many people nowadays that, that are, when they're faced with a moment of pause throughout the day, the first thing they do is they go in their pocket and they open up their phone and they're checking their social media. And it's not because there is a purpose, it's because it's a habit. And that's what I worry about uh, when we, when we start going down this road and be, and looking at Fitbits and apps and surveillance and that gaze. Now, I don't know if I'm right on the right track with that, but that's what I see. You know, um, Ash pointed in the blog, too, to a, a quote that really struck me not only in his blog, but also struck me in the article itself by the authors. Uh, uh, PE teachers is a valid authority on these issues of health. The teacher's role was to tell them just to be healthy, not how to do it. Again, tell them just to be healthy, not how to do it. That seems to be conflicting from what the way I train my teacher educators, and I think probably Ashley and many other of our fantastic PEED educators around the world. Those are my thoughts. Barry, I think the sports analogy that we have, and Rob, you picked up on as well with the ice hockey players and the refusal to do it. I think it's about flexibility and choice. So, you know, you know, there was a suggestion that David says we should expose them to it, make them aware that it exists, what it can do. And then there's a personal belief that, that Meg talked about as well in terms of whether you then engage with it, that tech, tech technology. Um, and the players voted with their feet and some of them will have seen perceptions of being very energetic and doing a lot of work being broken by the the, the reality of number of meters moved and actually you can move less meters but move smartly <laughs> you can run slower but run in exactly the right pattern and actually be far more effective so the data has to be used really really carefully in that bit and then you said you talked about vra we never missed it till we had it. Well, I'd argue we never missed, you know, you know, the fuel injected engine until we had it. We never. There's lots of things that we didn't miss until we had them. So we can't. I don't think that's an analogy personally that we can use. Some things we don't need. The electronic potato masher, for instance, is probably something we can live without. There are certain things that are quite good. So, and I think it's our understanding and getting to a sense of that. Um, and I think the 10,000 steps that, 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 that Cantor talked about, it, to me, it's the power of myths. How many of you eat carrots so you can see in the dark? And I don't know how much of a, I mean, there is some vitamin there that helps you, but it, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't actually do specifically that. But the, the myth of it um, has really sort of grown up around it. And I guess the 10,000 steps, you're right, is plucked out of nowhere. It was, um, I think it was a Japanese manufacturer um, who came up with it. Um, but I did like the, the notion of gamification, but again, competition with self for some people is much stronger than competition with other um, and no competition at all. Is, so, again, it's that kind of horses for courses. Um, and then uh, kind of the idea of the, the Fitbit being a black box is something I came up with. But Meg, you were talking about that personal preference. Um, and I, and I guess we're going to be careful when we put these things on kids is what, what do we see? Um, we were looking at a research study where we were going to put GoPro cameras on kids. 
Um, and somebody said, well, we, we did it with Google Glasses. We put Google Glasses on them and then we realised we had to take them off them every time they left the room because we ended up with the danger of recording them when they went to the loo. Um, and that kind of that, that you don't think about it, but, you know, what what are we recording when we put a Fitbit? If it's got a, a GPS device in it, where are they going? What are they doing? Um, if we find out they're doing something they shouldn't do, do we then have to report them? you know we put ourselves in sort of ethical and, and moral positions so we we do need to be aware of how that works um i think the charlie you said they're not aimed at the cross-country runner but actually i think they are aimed at the cross-country runner in as much as you know what i think lots of people in that way want that quantification of what it is they're doing they want the quantified self I think the bigger market is to those who don't think they want to wear it. And that's where, you know, I, I think the first sales came with those pe pe people. But then you made that connection to we have lots of time sat down. So, yeah, it may be a device in a, in a pandemic where we're actually looking to to encourage kids to understand how they can move around the home and in the garden and, and out with parents and the benefits that that might have. Um, and I think that's kind of where I got to. And I guess the challenge is. The multi-activity sports technique pro 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 program is lauded because it gives people the opportunity to try different sports and the hope is that they will engage in one and take it on to be um, a lifelong activity and I think that's the only one of the positive things you can say about that sort of curriculum and approach is it's it's giving people mass exposure and I guess should we have mass exposure in the sense of technology so we're giving people different apps and different technologies to use in the hope that it will motivate some of them to work in different ways. So trying to make a kind of a connection and an analogy there. So should we have the multi-device activity program or the multi-activity device program? Yeah, um, I, I just keep thinking, um, where is the foundation, like the foundational uh, motor development education in this you know it, it doesn't help a a young student learn the necessary motions of life by pacing in their room a hundred times so they can get their step achievement um barry i also i liked what you said about the var i've never heard that um acronym for it but the same thing here in in our sports it's it's completely taken out the human error uh, and I think that that's the foundation of the sport, really. You can't go back and, and replay things into milliseconds and, and call something that happened based on just a millimeter, you know. Uh, the human error has to be a part of it. But um, uh, And then that other statement that you quoted, Dr. Seymour, the, um, they're not teaching, they're teaching us to be healthy, but not how, how, how to be healthy. They're teaching us that we need to be healthy, but not how to do it. Um, and that's a huge problem that just that it's on us. It's on the educators. And that's really what it all comes down to. We need to teach how to use the technology and what to do. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with Dr. Seymour there as well. And yourself, Rob, that it's that it, it seems to be nearly the other way around. You know, teach the teach tell us to be healthy, but not how to do it. I would have thought it would have been the other way around first. And there's also kind of the danger of um, as said in the paper, the I can't remember the acronym or what they said in the paper, but it's the Citadel, um, it's the prison Citadel experience, where prisoners will be like the mid, middle of the prison where, where the guards are housed, 
and the prisoners can't tell whenever they're being watched. So they feel like they're being watched all the time, you know, um, and there's more and more kind of efforts now going along to get us to use less technology for less often because it's it's the habit in the hand all the time. It's in the room. Do you know what I mean? We're watching TV in bed when we shouldn't be and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just, again, it comes down to there's obvious things that it can do, the technology can do to help education. But are we spending too much time rather than just doing physical activity and different physical movements on trying to record all of this, you know? Thanks, Barry. I, I appreciate the uh, kind words. I I agree. I, and I, I, I love the uh, reference to that Citadel analogy in the uh, original article. I, I thought of uh, a notion of trust as well, too, the back to that surveillance and gaze theme. But again, even larger than that, the idea of trust and you you know in in this part of um, the world and in, in the United States we have uh, certification exams that have changed drastically over the last several uh, years where now students have to submit video clips and uh, portfolios um, uh, of their teaching to be um, appraised by uh, an official of the state or an official of the testing company, if you will. Uh, to determine their merits of being a, a potential uh, teacher candidate. And again, it seems to me that we have a question of trust there, you know, taking the trust out of the teacher at, uh, teacher preparatory institution's hands, taking the trust out of the local hands and now and moving the trust somewhere else. I, 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 and that surveillance theme again. So that's where I am with this. I, I do think we have to be cautious. I think Ash's question is well taken, of course, we have to include digital technology in, in lots of different formats to uh, interest children, but we have to also be uh, recognize how we can do it in a meaningful way. Back to last week's discussion. Why? It's always about why. The panopticium, panopticium, which is interesting because it comes from, from Foucault's book, Discipline and Punishment. Um, which has now been applied to um, education. So it's uh, so it, it, it's a, it's, there's a slightly dark context there in terms of what's happening. And I think the video assistant re referee has been badly used in football, but it's been very well used in cricket and tennis in that you have to appeal a decision. You only get a certain number of appeals per game. And if you waste one, it's gone. You don't. You can't appeal anymore. So in cricket, they they started off appealing everything, and they lost their reviews really quickly. But now they're much better at um, making a real decision where they actually genuinely think the umpires made a mistake, and then they make that appeal. But they can only if they're if they're right, they don't lose an appeal. But if they're wrong, they lose their appeal. And and I think those that sort of tech 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 technology is really important and i think the analogy there is it puts the power back in the players hands because at the moment it just be the referee's not sure he calls for a decision and we've seen that in rugby a lot where there's a lot of doubt i'm not sure but you know i think an appeal from the you know an appeal from the captain to say well we think that went into touch could you please review it would would change that process and i think that analogy can be used with technology is that you know it's getting the kids to tell you whether this is working or not um, is a really important process, but maybe giving them more than three reviews, because I think that's a bit harsh. 
Okay, so this we're coming towards the end anyway. So sort of any sort of concluding thoughts in terms of how you might change practice, what you might do? Is this something you would aspire to do? We haven't talked anything here about cost um, of digital inequity. Yes, so you just mentioned cost uh, and accessibility. I recently got an opportunity to substitute teach in a, in a very affluent suburb, um, uh, lots of wealth, and I noticed almost every other kid had an Apple Watch on. And this is long before I was um, reading this article or even thinking about incorporating technology into phys ed. Uh, but I just happened to notice it because there were so many of them. And uh, my girlfriend teaches in the Buffalo City School District. So Buffalo is the city we're in. She's, uh, she's teaching downtown in a bilingual, uh, mostly Spanish-speaking school. Um, and it's just incomparable, the two, the two different schools. And that's, that's another challenge with bringing technology in. So like I said, it's inevitable that it's going to be coming in in the future, already starting now. But then the next challenge is how to make it equally accessible for those who are of a lower socioeconomic class. Um, and obviously, I don't have the answers to how we're going to solve that next issue, but um, I think that's what's coming next. Uh, I think we've got quite a few like, sorry, Charlie, go off in a second. Ah, um, I think we've got quite a, like a, there's a few stories about schools that are now called Apple schools over here, where they uh, kit out the school or the classrooms with iPads. Um, and I think that what we're looking at there is possibly a step along that road. Um, but I agree with you where you have to be, so cautious is that we're going to have we we have, there's children in the my phase one school that have gone home that have had to get support because they don't have access to a laptop or the internet so that's happening that's today in a modern you know uh, society like like britain um, and i think that it'll only be exacerbated further when we start to add more technologies that lower socioeconomic families would view as fr frivolous you know um realistically uh, so yeah, it's definitely that's another little kind of like uh, mind to dodge, I guess, in, in this road. I guess something that I take, you know, any new thing that gets added or incorporated in uh, in education, and just sort of that this discussion itself of you know making sure that we're ooh, sorry if my Wi-Fi is bad, uh, just being aware that we can have. Uh, that not everything is is ideal that we need to not take things for granted and just be like, oh, great. Now everybody will just for sure introduce this technology when in fact it could be doing more harm than uh, than benefit. So I just think it's a it's important discussion that needs to be brought up because it is sort of the future, but we need to make sure that we don't get let ourselves get caught up in hoping that this future that's been self-imposed on us is uh, is actually the best future for our, for our young students. I love the point that um, Barry brings up about Apple schools. We have the same thing here. Uh, Google, uh, Google Classroom, Google Schools, um, I, I probably Apple too. I'm not, I haven't heard that as readily here, but uh, same idea and premise. But uh, what I am reminded of is going back to Cam's point about, you know, uh, 
the Fitbit and, and the app that goes with it, it, it could be viewed as another way of fitness testing. So now we're streamlining, uh, you know, fitness apps, uh, an Apple school partnership, a Google partnership. And we, and these companies of course are not doing it for uh, all, uh, uh, you know, utopian purposes. They, there's reasons behind that. So we have to be very careful going down that road that we have the best interests of children and, and the, you know, not only about equitable access, but also making sure that we avoid streamlining and a one size fits all approach that, that Ash also discusses in the blog. I'm just aware of time. So I'll, I'll kind of bring it sort of a close there. It's just kind of one thing. I, I think it's really interesting that what Barry said, and I think this is collective over here, and I don't know how it's like in the States, but not every household has access to a laptop or a computer. But every household has probably access to three or four mobile phones. Um, not every household, that's a lie, but it's uh, certainly um, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever type of phone. And we've replaced the laptop with the phone. We do all our email on that. We do all our, we do watch videos. It's kind of a multi-purpose device. And, and we've kind of superseded that. And suddenly we're in a, a, a situation where you couldn't do online schooling on a phone for eight hours. So the obsolete, nearly perhaps, laptop has become a necessity. Um, but then you've got four people now working at home. So where before we needed a laptop, you borrow, you know, parent or guardians on a laptop when they weren't using it for that one off occasion. Now you need it for, for a huge amount of time. And, and I think that's created a shift. And I'm thinking off the top of my head here, but my daughters, we've had to, she's had to go out with the go and get by her own laptop because, you know, she was trying to use, you know, an iPad, which was, was okay. But then my wife needed the iPad and, uh, so we, you know, even in a in a situation like that, we we had devices, but we had to uh, we had to um, you know go out and purchase new ones. Well, if you haven't got disposable income to go and do that, and it's a real challenge, then you know that that's where it becomes an issue. So, um, I mean, technology is inevitable as a concept, but it's not inevitable as a as a as a, an individual outcome, I guess. And we have to be really discerning how how we use it. So, huge thanks, everybody. Um, next week, we're talking about neoliberalism. Um, and I've just spent um, a long time trying to explain to everybody what neoliberalism is before we can actually talk about it. Um, so trust me, I have done a lot of work to explain to you what neoliberalism means. Um, uh, and hopefully it will be, um, you know, be an interesting discussion. But I think it's, I think it's terms like that are the obstacles for teachers to research um and that you know it's a it's a really interesting paper but it's a challenging paper to read as well and that's where our discussions ended i'd like to thank megan barry charlie cameron david and rob for their insights as pre-service teachers and clancy for lending his thoughts to our discussion thanks for listening stay safe and hopefully you'll choose to catch up with us next time when we talk about outsourcing and high status testing <laughs>